Lord, right now, as I talk about the secret place, Lord, would you come and would you witness to this message with your presence? Let your presence fall heavily upon us, God. Move among us, God. Pave the way and open the way for many to come into the secret place this morning. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. The Bible says that the kingdom of God is like a seed that is planted in our lives. And night or day, whether the man sleeps or awakes, the seed grows and sprouts. The seed of the kingdom is not planted in our sinful nature. It's planted in the blood of Jesus that covers our lives. The blood is the foundation for everything. And so two weeks ago, we spoke about the blood. For a seed to sprout and grow into a plant, there must be two conditions. There must be light and there must be water. A man receives light when he turns from his wicked ways back to the Lord and submits to the will of God in his life. And we spoke about this last week. This week, I want to talk to you about water, living water in our life, which is the presence of God. Psalms 91 verse one says, he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. There remains a place in this day and age where God resides and men should abide. I wanna start by telling you what the secret place means to me personally. There was a time in my life where I was intensely hungry for God and I wanted more of His presence than I ever had. And every night I would go and do Bible study, I would pray, I would worship, I would dance before the Lord, trying to get into that presence. And some nights I would get into the presence and it would be wonderful worship, and some nights I would not get into the presence and it would be dry. In fact, more nights than not, I was not in the presence. And then I discovered the secret place. And from the day that I discovered the secret place, I was able to get into the presence of God, the heavy presence of God every single night. And from then on, my walk with God began to grow exponentially. A few weeks after abiding in the secret place every night, I began to get visions. I thought these were just images in my own head, but sometimes these visions would have people and it would have, um, God telling the people a certain word or a particular verse coming with that person. A lot of these I kept to myself because I thought it was just in, in my own imagination. But sometimes in conversations with people, I will feel led to share these things. And when I share these things, there will be the great presence of God that just came and just convicted the person to repentance. Or the person would say to me, that verse you just spoke is the very verse that God has been speaking to me. And so because of this kind of um, encounters that you can't fake, I became convinced that this was not just my own imagination, but these visions were from God. And then, after a little while more, the Word of God came alive to me. The same Word that I had known since Sunday school now filled me with joy. Like, the simplest verse, for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that verse would fill me with so much joy, I could spend days just thinking and enjoying it. Sometimes God would tell me, look at this topic, and I'll flip the Bible, and the whole night He would show me this amazing Bible study about topics in the Bible. Sometimes it was so supernatural, He would even say, turn to this book and this chapter, and I'll turn to this book and chapter in the Old Testament, not knowing the chapter at all, and the most amazing Bible study would jump out at me. And then, ministry started. I will be talking to someone and just enjoying the presence of God in the background, and God will give me a word of knowledge about the person, something that I could not and should not have known. 
And sometimes I'll be in public, I was just doing my own thing, enjoying the presence, and God would say, speak to that guy, and I'll speak to him, and he would accept Christ. And the thing is, I never asked God to give me visions or Bible studies or ministry. I was just enjoying fellowship with him in the secret place. And the more I abide in the secret place, the more all these things just started to happen in my life. The first thing that God needed to show me about the secret place is that the secret place is fellowship with the Holy Spirit. I remember when God first told me, the presence of God that you enjoy, that is the Holy Spirit. I said, Lord, it cannot be. That is Jesus. For years, I have been fellowshipping with Jesus, and I even know how to use the presence. What I meant by this is, since I started walking with God, I knew the presence of God, and I discovered Every time before I did ministry, if I went and I stayed in the presence of God for a long time, ministry would be more powerful. So I was going into the presence like a jug, filling up with something precious and then unloading that precious thing in ministry time. I was using the presence like a, a power source, you could say. And so because I had some experience with it, it was so hard for God to renovate my thinking about the presence of God. There were a couple of verses that were quite key to me. And the first is Acts 16, verse 7. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. And so God said to me, the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus. It's the same Trinity. When you fellowship with the Holy Spirit, you also fellowship with Jesus. There was a conversation between Philip and Jesus where Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. God as the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are in perfect unity. Whatever the Father feels, the Son feels, and the Holy Spirit also feels. Whatever the Father wills, the Son wills, and the Spirit wills. And what Jesus was saying to Philip is, you have never seen the Father in person, but you have walked with me. The love that you feel that I give to you, that is the same love that the Father gives to you. And God spoke to me and He says, when you are in the presence of the Holy Spirit and you feel very loved, that is the love that the Holy Spirit feels for you, but that is also the love that I as the Father feel for you and is also the love that Jesus the Son feels for you. When I began to see and realize for the first time that the presence was the Holy Spirit, I stopped running into the presence to use Him like a power source. I began to run into the presence even without ministry to fellowship with the Holy Spirit. And as I began to fellowship with God in the presence, everything began to change. There are two keys to entering into the secret place. It's not hard, there are only two things we need to do to enter into that secret place. The first is waiting. So many times when we are hungry for more of God, we try and do things to get into the presence. We try and sing more, pray more, dance more, worship more, serve more. Nothing wrong with all of these things, but they're not the keys to enter into the secret place. The key is to wait upon God. Let me run through some of the Bible verses about waiting. The first is that waiting gives us justice. Surely God will not listen to empty talk, nor will the Almighty regard it. Although you say you do not see him, yet justice is before him, and you must wait for him. Truth, lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. On you I wait all day. 
integrity and uprightness. Let integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Defense, I will wait for you, O you, his strength, for God is my defense. Strength, but those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Honor, kings shall be your foster fathers and queens your nursing mothers. They shall bow down to you with their faces to the earth and lick up the dust of your feet. Then you will know that I am the Lord, for they shall not be ashamed who wait for me. Blessing, blessed is the man who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting at the post of my door. Goodness, I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Are you convinced that waiting is a biblical principle? Why waiting? Why not praying to get into the presence? Why waiting? It's because when we wait, we are dying to the restlessness of the soul and the flesh. The soul and the flesh keep wanting to do things, but when we wait, we are dying to that. And as my, flow, uh, my flesh and soul get dampened down, my spirit rises and I'm able to commune with the Holy Spirit who is spirit. This concept of the flesh and the soul being dampened for the spirit to rise is also evident in other Christian practices. For example, fasting. Why is it when I fast and pray, I can hear God's voice more clearly? It's because when I fast and pray, my flesh and my soul are literally becoming weaker and my spirit rises and is able to commune with the spirit more easily. How do I, how do I wait for God? Waiting is waiting. It's just like you go to a cafe and you would wait for your friend at the cafe. When you go to a cafe and you wait for a friend, you wouldn't be singing his name out loud. You wouldn't be declaring his name out loud in the cafe. You'll be just sitting there and waiting for him. There is nothing wrong with singing or declaring and praying, nothing wrong with any of these, but it's not the key to enter the secret place. The key is to wait. The second key to enter the secret place is longing, longing with our hearts. I was sharing with some friends. I said, it's almost as if I found a third language of prayer, a third way of praying. I can pray in English, I can pray in tongues, and I can also pray with my heart. Sometimes I just have this yearning for God that is so deep, my heart physically aches. And as I just long for Him, the presence comes, just like that. In Psalms it says, as the deer panther for the water, so my soul longeth after thee. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. King David, you God are my God. Earnestly I seek you, I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. If waiting dampens the flesh and the soul, then longing lifts up the voice of the Spirit to call the Holy Spirit to us. What I want to do now is just give you a walkthrough, a practical walkthrough of how I do it in my own home at night, how I go into the secret place. But before I share with you my method, so to speak, I want you to know that this is for me, it may not be for you. I've got a friend who's a worship pastor and he enters the secret place by worshiping on the keys and waiting for God. I don't have his skill set, so I can't do that. So the way I do it is different from the way that he does it. What is important are the principles of waiting and longing. Those two principles are always there. But I also understand that if we just talk in principles, some people can't wrap their heads around how does this look like in my life practically. So for those people, I will give you an example using my own life of how I enter the secret place. Is that okay? 
what I do is I just put on earbuds and I turn on worship music and I sit on my couch and I wait. If you walk past the room, you would see me just staring at the wall. But what I'm doing is that I'm very consciously just longing for God from the depths of my being. I'm just longing for Him. And then as I'm longing for Him, my flesh will begin to rise up. It says, I'm hungry. Let's eat Indomie, you know? Let, let's go and make a drink. Let's go to the toilet. And I say, shh, 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 keep quiet. And then my mind will start wondering. My mind will say, wow, we could be doing this, we could be doing that. Let's pray, man. Let, let, let's pray in tongues. Let's do something. But I know that even that prayer will be very soulish and not from the Spirit. So I say, no, shh, shh, shh. And then my emotions will kick in and say, it's been 15 minutes, it's been 20 minutes, this is not gonna happen. Let's just walk away from this, we try again another day. But I just said, no, no, just shh, shh, and I just wait. And then the presence comes. Sometimes when the presence comes, it's a thought that brings me to tears. Sometimes when the presence comes, it's like this awareness of His glory that the only thing I can do is kneel down prostrate and worship Him. Sometimes when the presence comes, I just sit there and I feel so loved by God. And then for the next few hours, the next two hours or so, all I do is just fellowship with Him. The one thing that has been very consistent for me when I go into the secret place is that I begin to cry. I start tearing and I start crying before the Lord. Before I found the secret place, I never cried for years, but after I found the secret place, almost daily I'm crying in His presence. And for the next two hours or so, there is no words. I'm not talking to Him, He's not talking to me. I'm just enjoying His presence, literally. And then after about two hours, sometimes, not always, sometimes I get a vision. Sometimes I get some Bible study that comes to me. Sometimes I just get a burden to pray, to pray for something I never even thought of, like to pray for the Christians in China. And I will spend two hours praying for them passionately and I have no idea where that passion comes from. It must be from God. But not always. Some nights it's just pure fellowship with God. And some of you say, whoa, 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 Dan, hold on. You mean to tell me that you spend two hours every night with God? Yes, and more than that. Before I enter the secret place, I'm looking at my watch, eh, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, God, where are you? After I enter the secret place, hours, hours fly by, the whole night flies by, I'm not even aware of time. Just as before I would play video games or watch TV and time, hours would fly by, in the same way but more in the presence, time just flies by. After a few months of being in the presence, I, I said to my wife, I said, I think I need to discipline myself when I spend time with God. And she said, what do you mean? You already spend a lot of time with God. And I said, oh no, I didn't mean it that way. I mean, I need to actually limit how much time I spend with God because I was just enjoying myself so much in His presence. I was staying up to two or three a.m. And after a few months, this was beginning to take a toll on me physically. Every night when I go to bed, the last thing I am aware of is clinging on to His presence. I just am so reluctant every night to leave that fellowship. And in the morning, when I first wake up, the first thing that I'm aware of when I wake up is the presence. The presence just comes, it's like, I can feel the presence. And sometimes I'm still tired. I say, God, I love your presence. And then I click the snooze button and I go back and sleep for another 10 minutes. And then I wake up and the presence is there all over again and it's wonderful. 
And I learned this thing after a few weeks, right? I didn't need to do the whole waiting game anymore. I didn't need to like wait to get into the presence. I just had to be aware and long for him and boom, the presence would come. And I learned that if you never left the secret place, you don't have to re-enter it. It's possible to just abide in the secret place every day. And I think this is actually the normal experience of what a Christian life should be. It comes with a cost. I remember that when I first found the secret place, as much as I enjoyed it, I still enjoyed the things of this world. And there was one night I was praying in tongues and I was filled with joy praying in tongues for two hours. And the next night I wanted to pray in tongues, but my friend, my colleague contacted me and asked me to play some video games. So I said, sure, I would. So I, I left 20 minutes at the end of the night to come back and pray in tongues because I wanted that experience again. And nothing, I, I felt nothing. And I asked God, I said, what happened? And he said, you already filled yourself with something else. And so I learned for myself that every night after the kids go to bed, I have a choice of whether I fill myself with the world or whether I fill myself with God. And the first two weeks is so hard. I feel like I'm dying to myself. After a couple of months, I'm so in the secret place that the things of this world don't even interest me. I look at that and I say, how was I ever interested in that to start with? But the, the beginning is hard. I want to spend the rest of this morning just showing you from Scripture why I think that the secret place is not only precious to us as believers, it's also precious to the Lord. I believe that when Jesus was walking on earth, there was one person at least who managed to capture the secret place of abiding with Jesus. This was not one of his disciples. This was a woman by the name of Mary. In the Bible, there are different Marys. There's Mary, the mother of Jesus. There is Mary Magdalene. And this is Mary, I'm going to call her Mary of Bethany. She lived in a small town called Bethany with her brother and sister, Lazarus and Martha. Bethany is a small town just outside of Jerusalem. So when Jesus went to Jerusalem for the feast, he would stop by and stay at Bethany. Mary of Bethany is mentioned on three occasions in the Bible. The first occasion is when Jesus visited the house and Martha was busy preparing stuff to serve him and Mary was simply sitting at the feet of Jesus. And this is the account. But Martha was distracted. The Bible actually uses the word distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. When a VIP guest comes to your house or my house, we must give him, we must lavish upon him all the attention. You know, we give him whatever he wants, not whatever I want. I don't know if you've ever been to those, um, have this experience, you know, when I go to a Chinese dim sum restaurant, and I'm trying to get attention, I raise my hand, it's as if I am invisible. Nobody pays attention to me. I'm like, hand is there for 10 minutes, you're just walking by, nothing. I go to a fine dining restaurant, and I raise my finger, and the waiter is there. Yes, sir, how can I help you? That's honor, and that's attention. It may be hard for some people to accept this, but when Jesus died on the cross to save us, he didn't save you and me so that we can be pastors or preachers or ministers or a leader of this ministry and a leader of that. He didn't save us so that we will be successful in the marketplace and be a manager of our, our, our companies. 
He didn't save us even to be parents of our children. He saved us for one reason only, and that was to have a relationship with Him, to abide with Him, to have intimacy with Jesus. And that is the one thing he's saying here. He's not saying that service is not important, but he's saying you're missing the whole point, Martha. The whole point is to have intimacy with me. And when we abide with the Lord, out of that abiding will come service. Out of that abiding will come prayers. Out of that abiding will come worship. And all of that will be precious because it came out of a place of abiding. But if we do all of these things without abiding in Him, the Bible describes all of these as just distracting the second occasion that Mary of Bethany is mentioned is when her brother Lazarus has died and Jesus is going to the house to raise Lazarus from the dead. The first person that Jesus meets is actually Martha, and this is the account of Martha and Jesus. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. How wonderful. Now, this is a tip, guys, okay? If your brother dies and Jesus says your brother will rise again, you say hallelujah and keep quiet. But Martha would not keep quiet. She kept talking. She said, I know he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. Theologically, very correct, but no faith. In fact, we know that Martha had no faith because later when Jesus wanted to raise Lazarus, he said, roll away the, the door from the tomb. And Martha said, oh, but Lord, he's been dead for four days. There's an odor and all that. It was Martha who tried to stop Jesus from raising Lazarus from the dead. So as theologically right as she sounds, there is no faith in her being. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? It's very strange. When you're at a funeral and Jesus comes, you would imagine he would be comforting her. Instead, he's giving her this theological lesson about the afterlife. Now, let's turn our attention to see Mary and Jesus. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Mary comes to Jesus. She says one line, and then no more words. No more words between Mary, no more words from Jesus. She just cries. She just weeps and cries to him from the depths of her being. And her sorrow is so contagious, not only the people around her start weeping, even Jesus wept. Imagine that. And the Bible says here that Jesus was deeply moved in spirit. Now catch this. The spirit of the Lord is not moved by our intellect. The spirit of the Lord is moved when we cry out to him from the depths of our being. When I want to come into the secret place, when I want the presence of God, I don't come with the attitude that I'm going to have this intellectual revelation of Jesus. I'm going to have intellectual discussions with him. I come simply longing, crying out from the depths of the being, Lord, I need you, Lord. I need more of you than ever before. I can't live like that. God, give me more. Come, Lord. And as we cry to the Spirit from the depths of our being, Spirit moves and something happens. When we share the gospel with people, we don't share out of our intellect. Oh, you know, this is a good thing for you to have. We share a good news that we rejoice in. And when I share the good news that I rejoice in, from my, as my spirit cries out to Him, the Spirit moves and something happens. 
Even preaching, even now, when I'm sharing this with you, if I only share with you intellectual knowledge, nothing happens. But if I share with you a truth that I rejoice in and I long for Him, I worship Him even as I'm preaching to you, the Spirit moves and something happens. Are you catching this? The third occasion that Mary of Bethany is mentioned is when Jesus and His disciples are sitting at the table, they're having dinner, and Mary comes in, and without a word, she pours perfume on his feet, and she begins to wash the feet of Jesus with her hair. Now, I want you to catch the heart of Jesus, the heart of the disciples who were eating with him, and the heart of Mary in this scenario. This occurs right before Jesus enters Jerusalem, and he's about to be crucified. Now, we know from the Garden of Gethsemane that during this period, when only Jesus knew what was about to happen, he was struggling emotionally with the fact that he's going to face the cross. So Jesus was struggling emotionally. Now his disciples, when they entered Jerusalem in the Passover um, dinner, they began arguing among themselves about who would be the greatest. Even in this last hour, they are not following Jesus because they love Jesus. They are following Jesus because they want something from Jesus. They want to be the greatest. And here we will see in this passage that they were so carnal and so self-centered that when Mary came and did this beautiful act of worship unto Jesus, they could not rejoice that someone was doing something nice for Jesus. In fact, they turned on her and they rebuked her for wasting money. Imagine that. So here you got Jesus who knows the heart of all men. He is struggling about what is to come, and he's so aware that around him, all of these men, they are so carnal, so self-centered, and so selfish that even now they are following him because they want something from him. And in this scenario, Mary comes along, and she doesn't say a word. She doesn't ask Jesus for anything. She just comes, she bows down, she pours the perfume, and she begins to wash his feet with her hair how beautiful this one act of worship was for Jesus. And Jesus said to the disciples, they rebuked her harshly, leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you and she can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, whatever she has done will be told in memory of her. This is the only honor that Jesus gave to an act of service done to him. Martha served Jesus a lot, but none of her acts were mentioned. The disciples were with Jesus for three years they healed the sick, they cast out demons in his name, and he never honored any of those acts. But here is a worshiper, here is a true worshiper, someone who abides in him, someone who loves him, and she does one act of worship. This is pouring of perfume, this expensive perfume is not something she could afford every day. So when she did just one act of worship unto him, one act, and he honored that one act. When we act when we move out of a position of abiding with the Lord. One act of service is infinitely more precious to Him than doing a thousand things without abiding in Him. Jesus said these very beautiful words. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. There will come a time where people would be willing 
or keen to pour perfume and spices onto Jesus after he died. They were looking for the dead body to anoint the dead body. But the dead body would not be there and the opportunity would not be there. Mary, by doing this act of worship, she was actually anointing Jesus for his burial even before he died on the cross. She had no idea how precious the act she was doing for God. One day, all of us will be in heaven. And in heaven, we will abide with Jesus forever. In heaven, we will worship him forever. In heaven, it will be easy to worship God because there is no darkness, there is only light, and we see everything clearly. But yet, to the worshipers who are here in this world where there is so much darkness with the limited light that they can see of Christ, if they would abide in Him and worship Him, that worship, even though it's not as glorious as heaven, is more precious to the Lord. You and I have a chance of blessing God today that we will never have once we cross to the other side of eternity. The worship team can come back, please. My favorite moment of every day is coming home and my sons will greet me at the door. When my son was two and a half years old, my wife took a video of what was happening before I got home. And when he heard my car pulling in the garage, he ran to the door and he began jumping up and down. He says, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. He was so excited. And then when I opened the door, he says, Daddy. And then he gives me like the biggest hug on my leg. So I bend down, I kiss him. And then he looks up at me and with the brightest, most expectant eyes, he just opens his hands like that. No words are needed. I know what he wants. So daddy gives him the biggest hug I can, and he just melts into me. Now at two and a half years old, his arms are so short, they can't even wrap around my neck. So his arms come up to here, and he does the cutest thing with his fingers. He starts stroking my neck like that. I have videos of this, and I, I just play these videos back again and again. These are my favorite memories of parenthood up to this point. You know, I love my son maximum. There is nothing my son can do to make me love him more. But there are things that he can do that will create the favorite moment for me in my day, the moment that I look forward to the most. There are things that he will do that will create memories for me that I will remember for the rest of my life. There is nothing that you and I can do to make God love us more. He already loves us maximum. But there are things, moments where we can run into the secret place every day that will make it not only our favorite moment of the day, but the favorite moment of the Holy Spirit as well. And in that secret place, we will experience things with Him and have such intimate memories with Him that those are memories He and I would remember not only for the rest of this life, but for the rest of eternity. It's going to be a call for ministry this morning. We want to lay hands and pray for you that you will experience the presence of God like you have never experienced before. When I was a younger Christian, I used to ask God, why do I feel like I have to keep going out for altar calls? And then when I became a preacher, I said, God, why do I have to keep giving altar calls? Why can't you just minister to them there and in their room at home? And God showed me Ananias and Paul Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus and he became blind. And God told Ananias to pray for Paul. Theoretically, 
Ananias could have prayed at home and God could have reached across the city to heal Paul. But he wanted Ananias to go. And when Ananias laid hands and prayed for Paul, scales fell off his eyes and he saw again. One time in my life, I was hungry for faith. I wanted more faith. I was reading books of faith, trying to psych myself up to have faith. Nothing was happening. And I went to a conference where Reinhard Bonnke was speaking. And at one of the workshops, he offered to lay hands and pray for people. So when I went up, he laid his hands on my head and he said one word, faith. That's it. I didn't tell him what I was asking for. He just said, faith. And I walked out of the, 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 the tent meeting, the, the tent where the meeting was, and I didn't feel any different until about three steps out of the meeting, and boom, suddenly it hit me. It was as if scales fell off my, my eyes, and I saw how easy it was to get faith, that faith is a gift from God. I don't have to psych myself up for it. I just asked God for it. I just saw it, and I began rejoicing in that simple truth. Now, if you had told me two days before that, that you get faith by asking God, I would have understood it intellectually. I would have agreed with you in my head and in my heart. But it's only after Reinhard Bonnke laid his hands on me that something shifted. The scales fell off my eyes and light came into this truth and I caught it, I caught it with my spirit. Somehow, I don't know why, but there is this thing about God where He wants man to minister to man, and there is a ministry in the laying of hands. Ministry with me and God, I'm like the dog, He's like the master. I have no idea. His ways are higher than my ways. I don't know why He wants man to minister to man, but I know that's just how He works, and so I just go along with it. I become convicted in my journey as a preacher that the preacher's job is not just to capture the content of the sermon. The preacher's job is to capture the burden of ministry for the Lord that day. And the burden of ministry from the God today is to lay hands and pray for people to receive fire. Jesus said, I have come to bring fire to the earth how I wish it were already kindled. And that's what we want this morning, to pray that people will receive fire, that kindling of the fire in you. Not just a little kind of lighter fire, but like, like a big fire in you, that the presence of God will come and visit you so strongly that there will be a thirst within you, a thirst that cannot be quenched by anything of this world, but only by the presence of God, that you will experience the presence so strongly that when you go back to your own secret place, you will know what level of presence you should be gunning for. So as we worship now, we're just gonna just take our time and worship. As we worship, if you are hungry and you want that kindling of that fire, then come and we're gonna lay hands and minister and pray for people.